Carl Stewart is an investment advisor representative of Carl Stewart Investment Advisor Incorporated. Call or text Carl now at 512-836-0590. Now, here's Carl. Good afternoon and welcome to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. Thanks for listening as we begin our 30th year here together. Money Talk is a broadcast about the world of financial and investment planning where you always drive our agenda by calling or texting 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there at your convenience and download podcasts of previous shows. And you can do the same thing by going to the free app Sound to Cloud. And this Thursday after the news at 6, we will rebroadcast today's show. It's always a great idea to call or text at the beginning of the hour. That way, I'll have a chance to do my best to answer your question. Or, as often happens, I don't know the bloody answer, and we'll get our expert listeners to give it. So, if you recognize the risk of bloviation, then I suggest that you call or text 512-836-0590. I have some updated Austin metro area real estate numbers. I get these every month from Karen Elliott with Sente Mortgage. And I thought I'd just share them with you. And to put them in perspective, of course, because I'm going to be giving you some declining numbers by and large, we have to think about the fact that these follow huge run-ups in median prices for homes. And, of course, back when mortgage rates were perhaps half of what they are today. But anyway through this is data for uh, January the median sales price was $444,000 and that's down 2% year over year the uh, total homes sold was 2,164 that's a sharp decline down 14% year over year particularly when you think about all the people moving in uh, and yet the number of homes sold declined 14% year over year the total homes sold, I beg your pardon, the median days on the market was 78 days on the market. That's up 10, that is up 10% on a year-over-year basis. The supply of inventory, which is about 3.9 months, is down sharply 11%. So people are not putting their homes on the market, I suspect, because they've got very attractive mortgage rates, and they're reluctant to put their house on the market unless they really have to. Those sold above list price, 9% of the homes were sold above list price, and that's down a sharp 18% from year over year, would indicate the lack of enthusiasm at high mortgage rates. New listings, this is pretty amazing, 1,668. And that's just from month to month. That's down 30% since the last month. That's not a year over year, so you'd need some more smoothing out before you could look at that. You wouldn't want to annualize that. And the median sales price per square foot, obviously a key number, $219. That's down 4% on a year-over-year basis. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-836. 0590. Mike, you're on the air. How may I help? Yeah, hello, Carl. Hi. Uh, Carl, I am uh, 77 years old, and mm-hmm. and I've had my money in uh, index funds and, uh-huh. a, and a couple of active managed funds. Uh-huh. Uh, but what do you recommend right now 
in this environment for the ratio between uh, the stock funds and the bond funds yeah. and, and uh, international versus uh, U.S. Sure. Well, uh, as you may, if you're a regular listener, I was negative on bonds for several years, not because bonds are bad investments, because interest rates were so low. And when rates are really low, like they were a few years ago, inevitably they move up. And when they move up, that puts downward pressure on bond values. We're now at the other, we're now at the other end where short-term interest rates are above 5%. The 10-year treasury is more or less at 4%. And the consensus is that the Federal Reserve has finished raising rates. Now, they, they may not be cutting rates as soon as some people think, based on the recent commentary from Fed Chairman Powell. Nevertheless, most people think that Given the, given the lack of increase and actual decrease in the inflation numbers that were done raising interest rates. Should that be the case, you go back and look at history at what happens to investment-grade bonds, what, what uh, Morningstar would call core bond funds, and you look at their returns in the following 12, 24, even 36 months once the Fed stopped raising rates, and the returns are really attractive. Uh, and that's partly driven by the fact that you have a higher interest income, coupon income. And secondly, and importantly, they will eventually begin to lower rates. And when that happens, that causes bond prices to rise. So I'm much more po positive on bonds now and have been for probably, well, since the Fed got to the current uh, price of five to five and a quarter on the Fed funds rate. So I would increase my bond allocation from where I was. I, going into uh, to uh, the peak in rates, I had dropped all the way down to 13% in an allocation, and I'm back to 20. I'm very comfortable with 20. And if you're only going to do bonds and stocks, I'd even go higher with bonds. You're 77. And frankly, on a risk-adjusted basis over the next 12 or 18 months, it's entirely plausible that bonds will do just as well as stocks. So if you're only going to do stocks and bonds, I'd, I, wouldn't be un, I wouldn't be uncomfortable with raising bonds to that 30 to 35%. Now, it's important that you stay in core bonds and not high-yield bonds. They're expensive on a relative basis. It's what's called the spread between high-yield and investment grade is very, very small. And also, they're positively correlated to equities. And while the stock market is doing very, very well, nevertheless, when it does badly, high-yield bonds typically do badly as well. So stay with core bonds and you stay in that intermediate, that five to seven year duration. Whether you do that with indexes like the Barclays Ag uh, iShares or BND, the Vanguard Total Stock bar Bond Market, I beg your pardon, or you do active management is a whole nother conversation. Now regarding the international versus domestic. I, this just drives me nuts. I, I have been doing this for 45 years and I have learned that over 50% of the world's public companies are headquartered outside the United States. And to ignore those and to have what's called home bias is, is generally a mistake. However, international has underperformed domestic for so long. And even just this year, I was looking today using the SPY iShares of S&P 500 exchange traded funds up 5.45%. And the Vanguard XUS is down 0.71. That's a large spread in, in difference. Having said that, 
There is a reversion to the mean, and it will occur. I just don't know when. So I've been running about 75% domestic and 25% foreign. That's hurt my overall performance, but I'm going to stick with it. So I would have 30 to, in your case, 30 to 35% in bonds, and I'd have the balance in equities, and I'd split it 75, 25 uh, domestic and international if I were in your shoes, Mike. Can I I ask you uh, one other question? Of course. Um, uh, And typically I would do index funds, but I was reading an article that that actively managed funds generally don't really outperform the uh, index funds. That's right. Uh, Although in recent times, that's that's not necessarily true. But so what's your feeling of actively managed versus uh, index funds in in a portfolio like this? Really terrific question. And here's, here's my view. Let's take bonds first. I like active management in bonds. I think that the bond market is sufficiently inefficient, if that makes sense, that active managers can take advantage of dislocation. So for right now, for example, government agency bonds are really cheap versus treasuries. And if you own a bond uh, index, you have to have the treasury allocation that's in that index. So if you own the Bloomberg Ag, whatever I'm making, I have no idea what the treasury allocation is, but you got to match that. But if you have an actively managed fund and they can see that there's real value, that what they call are trading cheap to treasuries, they can overweight those. So I'm a fan of active management in bonds. I, if you want to combine it with passive management, I'm okay with that. But frankly, I use three bond funds. I use a short these are all investment, well, that's not completely the short investment grade, which, of course, looks great now because short-term rates are high. And then I use what I was talking about earlier, a core bond fund. And then I use what Morningstar calls a multi-sector fund. That allows me to allow the manager to take more risk where she or he or they think there's opportunity. If that's abroad or that's domestic or that's lower grade, with, with with limits. And so last year, a fund like that was up maybe 9% because of the flexibility. So I like active management when it comes to fixed income. When it comes to equities, I have the bulk of my money, I would suggest, in indexes. But I have learned over the years that there are two ways that active managers can outperform. They can, because they should, if, if you compare them to the S&P 500, if that's a fair comparison, depending on the active fund you're considering, then they either ought to outperform in good times or outperform in bad times. And the way they do that is they don't mirror or follow the index. So the ones that are outperforming the S&P 500 over the last year plus are the ones that have focused heavily on the high-tech stocks, on the Meta and the Microsoft and the Apple and the Amazon, et cetera. And they've outperformed because they can, they can overweight that. That's fine. But when the stock market takes a dive like it did in 2022, they're going to underperform because they're overweight the very areas that are doing the worst. The other way is that you can outperform in the, on the downside by, not go, by, by buying out-of-favor stocks and doing better then. I'm going to give you three, 
comparisons here. I'm not going to name the funds because I never do that. But I'm going to take give you an example of a fund that does it on the upside. Now, what I'm going to do is give you the ranking by their Morningstar category. So you take a good year like 2021. So one is the best, 100 is the worst. In 2021, this actively managed fund in an up market was four, which is terrific. Then 2022 comes and everything goes to heck in a handbasket, 94. And then last year, when it was a good year, number one. Now compare and contrast that to another fund I look at, happens to be an international fund. And in a good year, 2021, 90, really lagged the index. But in 2022, when everything I said went heck in a handbasket, it was three. It outperformed virtually everybody. And then last year, in a good year for international, relatively speaking, but not absolute speaking, not relatively, was 96. And so I think that's how I look at active management. You, you want to go for consistency of performance, meaning they have the same strategy all the time, which is going to give you inconsistent numbers, right? You want to have it competitively priced. And because it's active management, and this is true whether it's fixed income or equities, you want to look at, the, you, you want to look at who's managing it and how long they've done it. Is it a star system with one person? Is it a team? What's, the, what's their, what's their uh, longevity? That all matters because if a team leaves and goes to another fund company and another team comes in, they could easily liquidate a large portion of the underlying assets, creating potentially a tax problem for you to replace and put in their own strategy. So this is not simple, but that's how I look at the active-passive um, argument, Mike. Okay. Hey, thank you, Carl. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. We're going to take a break. A perfect time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. You're listening to News Radio KLBJ. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. I was thinking during the uh, commercial break, if you have friends who uh, are do-it-yourself investors or just interested in investing and, and use an advisor, if you think about and wonder about active versus passive investing. I just bloviated for about 10 minutes there, but you might just give them the uh, call letters for the for the podcast at newsradioklbj.com or go to SoundCloud because that was about f- as fast as I can talk in 45 years of trial and error. 512-836-0590. Mike, you're on the air. How may I help? Hi, Carl. Hi. How you doing today? Good, thanks. Hey, uh, I have questions. Uh, I've got an inherited IRA and actually was just laid off, so I've also got a 401k. I'm looking at purchasing uh, property. Um, yeah. Ideally, I'm paying cash for it. Yeah. And I'm trying to see if I, if using the, either the inherited IRA or the 401k will have any tax benefits and save me, you know, save me from getting, used by using it for household, save me from getting on paying taxes or paying early withdrawal penalties, those yeah, type of things. Yeah. And, and how old, how old are you, Mike? I'm 51. Yeah. So, um, you can take money out of the inherited IRA. 
you will pay taxes, income taxes, on whatever you take mm-hmm. out. You've got 10 years to take it out. So if you've just lost your job and it's early in the year, uh, you're probably going to have lower income this year than you did last year. You can just Google the income tax rates for 2024 and see what your tax liability would be for taking money out of the inherited IRA. There's no penalty for taking it out of the inherited IRA, but rather at the opposite, you've got 10 years to take it out, and the government doesn't care if you take it out all at once or over 10 years or whatever. The 401k is a completely different situation. So you can what you can do is you can do what's called a, um, a rollover, and you do a trustee-to-trustee transfer to a new IRA custodian. But because you're under 59 and a half, whatever you take out of there is going to get a double whammy. You're going to pay income tax on what you take out. And because you're, 59, you're under 59 and a half, you're going to pay an att- additional 10%. So it's very easy for you to, to you know, lose 25% of the money to 35% of the money. So that's generally a very bad idea to uh, take it out of that 401k slash IRA rollover. That's perfect. And the 59 and a half answered my other questions about the inherited IRA because I will be turning 59 in year 10, but I won't be 59 and a half by then. Right. So and it, yeah, and it doesn't, yeah. When it comes to inherited, it doesn't matter. I avoid that, but I didn't know if it was 59 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. But, it, but, but for the inherited, it doesn't matter, but it does matter for the 401k. Right. Okay. Okay. I think that answers my questions. Thank you very much. You bet. You bet. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Hi, Carl. Your show has helped us so much. Thank you. Well, you're very welcome. I tell you, that makes me feel terrific. Can you give your thoughts on rebalancing the portfolio more than once a year? The recent returns on the S&P 500 have been amazing, and I would like to rebalance next week. Thanks. So I have um, no data that there's an optimum time to rebalance. I think it's better to look at it this way. And I know because you're a regular listener, you've heard me say this. The key to investing in the financial markets, and frankly, the key to investing, regardless of the financial markets or not, is asset allocation, the mix of what you own. Because every investment has a characteristic. It might be a, have a long fu- a period, like investment real estate. It might have more short-term volatility, like the stock market. It might have different characteristics related to the economy, different characteristics related to interest rates, different characteristics related to inflation. So the single biggest deal is asset allocation. I serve on a couple of institutional boards, and this is what we talk about because we have a mandate to provide income for the institution and how we invest the money is not looking for the best stock fund, but thinking about our asset allocation. So I'm going to make this up. I'm just going to use the old-fashioned, simple 60-40 rule that you that your asset allocation is 60% stocks and 40% bonds. And because what you've said has occurred, the S&P has been amazing, you're now at 70%. Is it appropriate to rebalance? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. Now, if you have a 60% allocation, and, and you're 64%, well, I don't know about that because the market could drop 
10% from here easily. I mean, it happens all the time. And guess what? You're back in balance. Now, the other consideration, obviously, is taxes. If you're doing this in a tax-deferred environment, let's say an IRA, an SEP IRA, a Roth IRA, you can be a little more active because you know there are no tax consequences. If it's in your own taxable account, then you have to be aware of whether you've had it for a long-term or a short-term because the tax rates are substantially different. But I wouldn't let the tax tail wag the dog. And it's early in the year. If you take gains now, you may have the opportunity later in the year to offset that by trading out of some other securities while avoiding the wash sale rule to get tax losses. So I wouldn't think about rebalancing once a year. I would think about watching my asset allocation and giving myself some, some leeway. Now, the hard part is not the good news that you're dealing with today. The hard part is the bad news that happened in 2022. If you were a computer and not an emotional human being, you would have been selling your bond fund, and even though it was going down in 2022, and buying your stock fund or funds because they were going down even more to get to your asset allocation. So not, that's the thing to do. So if I were in your shoes, if I were significantly out, out of balance on the equity side, would I do the rebalance this next week? The answer is yes. Thanks for the text. We're at the bottom of the hour. We have all of our lines available. It's a great time for you to call or text 512-836-0590. I'll be back. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on newsradioklbj.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. When you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. You may listen online right now at newsradioklbj.com or go there and download podcasts of previous shows. And you can also download the free app SoundCloud and listen to those shows that way. And this Thursday after the news at 6 p.m., we will rebroadcast today's show, 512-836-0590. Frank, you're on the air. How may I help? Yes, I have uh, two questions. Uh Uh-huh. My first question was uh, the one I mentioned to your uh, uh, call call screener. Yeah. And that is I have a uh, um, pretty sizable deposit um, at a bank yes. and it's um, it has a one one year term which is coming up pretty soon yes I got a rate of four point four point three nine which uh-huh. isn't great it's not bad yeah would you recommend I keep that or would you recommend I um, uh, change into something else I also have uh, a portfolio with an IRA I'm 77 years old, uh-huh. and my second question is, my wife passed away th- about three and a half years ago. I see. And I just learned that there is a special deduction for widows or widowers um, that is, I believe, $27,700, but I'm not sure if it says I have to use it within two years of death or can I use it any two years thereafter. 
Okay, I'm going to take the second one. Now, I don't. There's a standard deduction that all of us can take, and that changes every year. And it's about the amount that you're saying, but that would be if she were still living. If there's some other deduction, I've never heard of it, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a CPA. I don't want to opine on that and mislead you, Frank. So I would say I've never heard of that. I've never seen that. And so you want to talk to a tax expert on the first one. If we're talking about you want to keep the money in some financial instrument that doesn't fluctuate in value. So that's what you've got right now at the bank is probably a one-year CD. And if you if that's what you want, then you what you should do, if it's a sizable amount of money, is the following. We're living in a time, very unusual, where short-term interest rates are higher than longer-term interest rates. So you could put it in a money market fund, not a money market account, at some large firm like Schwab, not Schwab, like Fidelity or Vanguard or somebody like that, and get over 5% on a daily liquidity and over 5%. However, you're not going to lock that in. So if and when interest rates decline, which is highly plausible, the rates are going to go down on that. So if you want to take advantage of the current situation where rates are high and are and if you believe that that's not going to stay that way over the next 12 and 24 months, then now would be the perfect time to create a ladder, L-A-D-D-E-R, where you take the money and you divide it into various maturities. Now, I serve on the finance committee of a nonprofit. We had several millions of dollars. And so what we did was we bought six-month, 12-month, 18-month, 24-month, and 30-month U.S. treasuries. But if you don't want to do that, I mean, we've got a chief financial officer. He can go do that. If you don't want to do that, you can either go to your financial institution or you can look at other financial institutions and stagger the maturities. So right now, this this amount that's maturing, more or less, how much how much is it, Frank? Oh, ninety ninety five thousand. Okay, so let's just round it up to a hundred, divided oh. it into twenty or twenty five thousand dollar pieces. And then ladder it out, starting with six months and go six months, one year, 18 months, 24 months. Then you're going to get good returns. And when rates go down, if they do, which I believe they will, you'll be pleased that you still have some of that money invested at higher rates. All right. Well, thank you. I enjoy your show. And whenever I can catch it, I certainly listen. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for calling. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text. 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, you have previously talked about having a gold fund as part of a portfolio. Where would you place the gold fund, in taxable or retirement account? Excellent question. It's, it's, a, it's a complex answer. So you have to ask yourself, what's your primary objective? If you say, look, I or we are the same people, whether it's in a joint account, an individual account, or an IRA account, then you would put the gold, if you have a gold allocation, let's say your gold allocation's 7%, you would have 7% in a gold exchange-traded fund in any account because that's going to affect the performance. Now, if you want to have more tax sensitivity, the gold exchange-traded fund is going to pay a small amount out every month. That's just the nature 
of the financial instrument. But if you don't sell it, obviously, you're not going to have any capital gains tax. But if you are sufficiently hands-on and sophisticated, and you can say, okay, I'm not going to have the same asset allocation in my tax-deferred versus my taxable environment, which is going to give me significantly different returns over time. And I'm okay with that because I can consolidate those in my head and on my computer and answer the question, number one, how's my asset allocation matching up with my target and how am I doing? Then you'd put the gold ETF in the retirement. I just don't think that that's a practical matter for most people because you're going to have periods like last year and the year before, frankly, where gold on a relative basis did just fine. And you didn't in 2022 when stocks were off sharply and bonds were off sharply and gold was down 0.6%, you'd had none of that protection in the account that you didn't have the gold. So I don't think the tax tail should wag the should wag the dog, but technically, specifically, it's not as tax efficient. You should put it in the retirement plan. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512. 512- 836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, I currently have my funds invested in 60% stocks and 40% allocation, which I presume means bonds. My question is, regarding the bond portion, currently I have equal amounts invested, 25% in one- and two-year CDs, in the following Vanguard funds, short-term investment-grade bond fund, intermediate-term bond fund, multi-sector bond fund. I am 66 years old and retired. Is the fixed income portion of my portfolio invested properly given the current outlook for interest rates? This is Gary. I would say the answer is no. Let's just start from the belief that the 40% allocation is what it should be. That's great. But CDs are not bonds. And as a consequence, there's no total return potential. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is that your CDs didn't go down in value in 2022 when your bonds did, so you didn't have a negative total return. But they also didn't go up when there was a positive return. And if and when rates decline, now if you don't think rates are going to decline, okay, then stay in CDs. But when rates decline, the CDs are going to mature, you're going to have lower interest rates to reinvest, and you'll have no appreciation. So no, I would not have money in one- and two-year CDs. I'm assuming that you are risk-tolerant or you wouldn't have 60% in stocks. I Do I like the mix of short-term investment-grade, intermediate-term bond fund, as long as it's investment-grade and multi-sector? You must be a regular listener to the broadcast because that's precisely what I would do. It's precisely what I am doing. I just would not put money in the CDs. Great question. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. We're coming up on the last quarter hour. I'm going to take a break. And if you're thinking of calling or texting, you better do it before you run out of time. 512-836-0590. I'll return. You're listening to Money Talk with Carl Stewart on News Radio KLBJ, 590 AM and 99.7 FM. Enjoy the podcast on NewsRadioKLBJ.com. Now, here's Carl. Welcome back to Money Talk. I'm Carl Stewart, and you're listening to News Radio KLBJ. 
Thanks for listening. Great show this afternoon. I hope you're enjoying it. I know I am. And when you have a question, call or text 512-836-0590. Here's a text. Carl, I put a good amount of my portfolio into mid and small cap funds and stocks, 11 to 15% each. What's your best guess when these could launch and how long could they produce? <laughs> Let me see. Oh, that noise you heard was my crystal ball falling off onto the floor. So sorry. Yeah, so you are a, a, you are an active investor. The fact that you understand and distinguish and parse the equity market into small and mid caps. So there's a couple of answers. Um, and because you are that kind of investor, you might want to, because this is a public site, you might want to go to J.P. Morgan Guide to the Markets. They have wonderful public available data. They update it all the time. And they have in their equity selection, they have what looks like a box, like a tic-tac-toe. And they show you the recent and longer-term returns across what we all now call the Morningstar style box from growth to blend to value across the top and from large to mid to small across the bottom. And what you will observe is there's this huge dispersion, and it's been going on for a long time, between growth and value. So when you bought a small cap fund, did you buy a small cap growth fund or did you buy a small cap value fund? If you bought an index, is it capitalization weighted? Let's suppose you bought the Russell 2000. That's capitalization weighted. If you bought the Russell 2000 growth or the Russell 2000 value, you would anticipate significantly different return characteristics. So if you're looking at what's working, that makes you more of a momentum investor then you would want to lean into the growth side because that's frankly where the tailwind is. If you are more the Warren Buffett type contrarian and, and value type person, then you would move to the left of the style box and buy the Russell 2000 value. Or if you're at like active managers in some spaces as I do, a small cap value manager. So the, there's no simple answer to your question because it depends on the nature of the funds which you purchased. So if so, I would tell you that small cap growth and mid cap growth have done okay, uh, and that the small and mid cap value have not. And so there's going to be a reversion to the mean, as I was saying in answering a question about international versus domestic equities earlier in today's broadcast. But you never know how long that's going to take or when it's going to occur. I know this sounds trite, but it's been my experience over the last 45 years as an investor. Good things last longer than you anticipate, and bad things last longer than you anticipate. Just ask people who lost all their money in real estate in Central Texas back in the late 80s and early 90s. And so what I would tell you is I have no idea how long they could produce, but your active decision is are you going to buy small cap, buy market cap, and shoot right down the middle, or are you going to go for growth or for value? Thanks for the text. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here's another text. Let's see. That was about gold. I've already talked about that. Let's see what this one is. 512-836-0590. And I've done that one as well. I just want to make sure that I get to everybody's text today. I think this is a new one. 
Here we go. Carl, when I make my required minimum distributions, my financial advisor wants to do the withdrawals early in the year. Why shouldn't I wait until late in the year to take advantage of tax-free earnings? If I do the withdrawal early in the year, the funds go into a taxable account and adds to my taxable earnings for the year. So from Tom, well, your RMD is going to be the same, whether you take it in January or you take it in December, and you're going to pay taxes on it. So mathematically, if you took the money out in January and reinvested it in your taxable account in the same portfolio and paid the taxes from some other source, you'd have the same amount of money. And if you don't pay it from some other source, you take the required minimum distribution. Let's say it's $50,000. Let's say the tax liability is $10,000 and you reinvest the 40. If you invest it in the same asset allocation that you have in your IRA, you're going to have the same returns. So I don't really, I can't come up with a compelling answer because whether you have a good year or bad year in the IRA, the RMD is going to be the same because it's based on the December 31st value of the previous year. So your custodian knows probably the first business day of January, certainly the first week of January, what your required minimum distribution is going to be for 2024. What you take it out as long as you reinvest it, it really, frankly, it doesn't matter as far as I can tell. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. Call or text 512-836-0590. Here is a text. Okay, let's see if this came in today. Yep. Can you tell me whether or not rental income is counted against your retirement Social Security income? Wow. I would think it is because the Social Security people know what your taxable income is. And your rental income, you, you pay taxes on that, I'm assuming. That's not a, you know, there could be some other factors like depreciation, et cetera, et cetera. If your rental income is taxable to you, you then put it on your 1040, and the Social Security Administration knows that. They know that regardless of whether it's the source of the income, whether it's dividends or interest or rental income. Now, as I always say, I find Social Security to be extremely confusing, and I'm not a tax expert, but that they know <laughs> what your income is. That's it. That's how they know how much Medicare, uh, what your IRMA is, how much Medicare premium gets deducted from your Social Security. So that's my understanding. You're listening to Money Talk on News Radio KLBJ. We're down to our last seven minutes. I have no calls or texts. I'm going to get over here and start some amazing bloviation. That ought to frighten you. So we've had lots of great, I would call it, investment-related strategies today, questions which I really, really enjoy. But we have a regular listener, our friend Nancy, and she's going to give me some I was going to give you some of her financial planning advice, but I was able to scare someone into sending me a text. 512-836-0590. Hi, Carl. What retirement advice would you give a 50-year-old with $40,000 in an IRA but very little savings? 
I feel like I'm starting late. Thanks, Adrienne. Well, Adrienne, you are starting late, but you're starting, which is almost un-American. Um, and so let me just start off with the bad news and then tell you what I would do if I were in your shoes. Um, you're unlikely to be able to retire at, say, the traditional retirement age of 65. Uh, I, that's, I, I'm over 65. I love to work, so that doesn't bother me, but it may bother you. Because when you retire, your bills don't stop. And as a consequence, you have to have a source of income. And you know, because you're listening to the broadcast and you're asking questions, that $40,000 isn't going to go very long. You're a female. You have a long life expectancy. And your Social Security benefit, you can't, you can't force that to be more. As I say frequently, you can't call the Social Security Administration and say, I'm running a little short on cash this month. Can you increase my benefit? So you've got to save. You have got to do two things. You've got, because you're getting a late start, you've got to you sit down and get a, get a receipt for every expenditure you make. I don't care if it's Starbucks coffee or gas at the Shell station or groceries at HEB or whatever. Get the cash receipt. And then right before you talk, listen to Money Talk on Saturday, because I'm sure you do that, sit down and put those expenditures from that week into categories. And do that and just keep doing it. And why is that? Because I believe, since you're asking me this question, you have a sincere desire to save for your future. You want to become financially independent, to have a moment when you get up in the morning, you do whatever you want to and not because you have to. And so to get there from here, you got to change your behavior. And psychologists would suggest that we don't change our behavior just because we want to, because our current behavior meets our needs. Otherwise, it wouldn't be our current behavior. But what you're going to do is you're going to start to notice, because you have a sincere desire to invest money for your retirement, you're going to start to notice, wait a minute, I just spent $3.76 at Starbucks. I really don't need to do that. I can make my own darn coffee, right? And wait a minute, I bought that brand name so-and-so at HEB. I don't have to do that. Or I bought soda pop in cans. I could buy it in bottles. There's all kinds of little things. And little things add up to big things. Because what you're looking for is to bring forth cash flow to put in your investments. It doesn't matter whether it's an IRA or not. There's nothing wrong with an IRA. And if you can put up to 7000 in there, then I think you should. And that's the savings part. That's the financial planning part. And you've got to, got to change and get that to occur. Now comes the investment part. You don't have enough time to be conservative. If you're a regular listener, great. If you're not, please become one. Because we have these kinds of questions and these kinds of conversations every Saturday. So even though I talk about fancy things about small caps and mid caps and asset allocation and gold and bonds and all that stuff... Frankly, at your age with 40000 it's irrelevant. You need to get a custodian. You can do it yourself at Charles Schwab, Vanguard, Fidelity, T. Rowe Price, lots of other places, and you want to invest in index funds. You want to invest 75% in either a Standard & Poor 500 index fund or a total stock market fund and 25% in a total international fund, and you want to put money in every pay period, however this works. And once you have the maximum contribution in your IRA, then you open an Adrienne account 
and you put keep putting the money in there. Some months the market's going to go down and your investment's going to go down. You go, really, Carl, thanks a lot. In some months it's going to go up. And, well, thanks, Carl, it was worked out well. But the bottom line is whether you're putting $500 in a month or $5,000 a month or $150 a month, some months those dollars are going to buy more shares and some months those dollars are going to buy fewer shares. And over time, more shares at lower price, fewer shares at higher price gives you a lower average cost, increases your potential rate of return. So I, re- I admire you for asking the question. Yes, the bitter pill is you are behind, but there are ways to dig out of it. You are a young person relative to life expectancy for females in the United States. And so begin to save, begin to look very carefully at your expenses and look for small ways, not large ways, because that's hard to do, small ways to save more money. Great broadcast this afternoon. I want to thank Patrick for stepping in and doing his usual terrific job. I want to thank you for listening and to remind you to join me next Saturday after the news at 4 for Money Talk.